0: on someone earlier there was nothing more electric than walking up to SoFi Stadium and the beginning of that game. I was more hyped up than I have been I don't know probably ever and then slowly but surely it became the most depressing moment of my life and I'm sitting there in Pete Sawyer's lap crying. Um, yeah, cold and wet and miserable. Uh, winter break, though, was really good. I hope it was good for y'all. It's really glad—I'm really glad to be back, and I'm glad you guys are all here, um, especially if this is your first time joining us. I think this is going to be fun, um, and I hope you keep hanging out with us. But, uh, guys, I feel like I haven't been in Fort Worth for, I don't know, it feels like, a, what, has been a month. I was in Colorado for a couple weeks, uh, which was fun. Got to do some skiing and snowboarding. I'm a snowboarder. Sorry if that breaks your heart. Um, yes. Uh, and honestly, it, they were great ski trips. What was fun about them is you get to know whenever you're like staying in a cabin with someone for multiple times, you get to know each other really well. Um, and you get to have some good talks. So one of the trips that I was on, I was with a bunch of other guys and we, uh, we're hit, you're hitting the slope day after day and there's nothing like spending an entire day together, sleeping in the same cabin and bunk beds and sharing meals together to get like really close and bond. So one, one evening uh, at the end of the week, we, uh, we're all tight. We all know each other really well now, and we've bonded a lot. Had a, some great shared experiences, all that good stuff. And we're sitting around in our cabin, just talking about life and getting real with each other, and and being real honest. And uh, the night ended with a question to to one of the guys. Uh, we got real deep. But what is one thing that's keeping you from following Jesus, um, and one thing I can do to help? And it was one of the best conversations I've ever had. And he was super honest and vulnerable. But then everybody else started answering that that question. And it was really cool. And I won't get into the details of it, but what I discovered in that combo is that it kind of came down to, to one thing, or a couple things, I guess. Typically, the thing keeping people from following Jesus is just not a proper view of who Jesus is, and really not even a proper view of, of themselves. You can't even really get to, to that without that. And then it all comes down to not having a clear picture of who Jesus is. And Today, what we're going to do, um, it might, if you've been with us for a while, today's going to look a, a little different. Typically, we go through a book of the Bible, and we're like doing somersaults all over it, getting in deep and everything. Today, we're just going to look at three stories of how Jesus interacted with three different people, um, and we're going to take a look at who we are, who Jesus is, and then so what? Why Why does that matter, and what does it all all mean for us? And I want to do this in hopes that A, we come away with a clear view of who Jesus is because I, I truly believe that if we really knew who he was and have a very good grasp of what his heart looks like and how he interacts with us, then we would be changed um, and we would go all in. And, uh, so three stories in our Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, I would recommend stealing one from one of these back tables. Otherwise, we'll, we'll throw up scripture uh, on, on the screen up here. Um, but I, I was thinking through, through what I wanted to share And I picked these three stories, and uh, I think we're gonna identify with a couple of different people in them. They're real stories about real people, real events. um, And you might not identify with all of them, but my hopes and my thoughts were that you uh, will likely identify with at least one of them. Um, And I don't think this covers the entire spectrum of who we are or, uh, or who Jesus is by any means, but it's a start and I think it's an honest glimpse. So story number one, are we ready? Uh, story number one is in Mark chapter five, and again, we'll we'll put it up here on the screens for you. Um, this first story is about a woman who is suffering and hurting and um, kind of filled with with some shame. Again, there's the the passage if you want to look it up. Um, by the way, I had them put that up there. We're gonna kind of fly over these these stories, and I think there's a lot to unpack in each one, and we can't spend all all of our time on it, so. Write those down. I would highly encourage you to go spend some time in them later and read them. But um, let me let me set the scene for you. Jesus uh, is teaching. He's going around teaching, performing miracles, all that kind of stuff, and doing it with authority. He's telling people he is the Son of God, the promised King of Israel, all that kind of stuff. And people are starting to question who he is. And he's performing miracles and healing the sick and doing all of it with incredible compassion and people are kind of like tilting their heads at him. Um, And so some people are coming to him in droves, right? They're just flocking to him of like, okay, we believe this guy can help us and heal us. And then uh, other people are not believing him. But long story short, Jesus is on his way here in this story to go heal and, and save someone's daughter. Um, but the streets are packed and crowded. Again, people are, are flocking to him. And so everyone's in a hustle. They're pushing and shoving um, their way to see Jesus and enter the story. So Mark 5, verse 24. It says, And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you. There's so many people here, and yet you say, who touched me? How can we know? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Beautiful story. Um, let's just take a note of what the text says, right? We see a large crowd, right? Hustling, bustling crowd. The word thronged is used, which is like not in our normal vocabulary. Do you, anyone use thronged? Um, it's used, it just means people were flocking in multitudes is all, all that is. And there's a lot of people. It's shoulder to shoulder, probably feels a lot like ACL. Um, and there's this random woman right in the middle of it all. And it says that she's been bleeding for 12 years. External bleeding, internal bleeding, just cannot control it. And we see that she suffered much. She's in immense physical pain, and she's devastatingly weak, right? She's constantly losing blood, so she's extremely weak. And she spent, it says, all of her money on doctors and physicians to try and get medical help, and yet no one can help her. This disease that she has is only growing worse. Nothing can stop the bleeding. Talk about hopeless. For 12 years of your life, you have this problem, and nothing is fixing it, right? Have you, anyone in here, has anyone ever felt like that? Like you can't escape your situation? Like nothing you do is fixing it, and that you can't even fix this pain, can't even numb it, can't even run away from it? That is where she's at. And at the same time, not only is that going on in her life, but she's filled with shame. She's deemed unclean, unclean. Um, she can't even go to the temple to worship is what you learn when you study this passage. And she can't even go anywhere in public without announcing herself. So she literally has to go around in public, like um, in this story, right? And she has to go around and she has to announce, I'm unclean. I'm unclean. That way people know to avoid her and not even be around her, right? She has to announce herself. So talk about just isolation. Imagine how isolated she, she feels and how unseen she feels. She doesn't feel cared for at all. She literally, her identity becomes unclean. She literally has to say, I'm unclean. Stay away from me. And she's desperate. She's heard stories of this guy named Jesus and what he can do. And she's literally so desperate. She goes, man, if I can just, if I can just touch his robe, I don't even need to talk to him. I don't even need to hug him. I just need to barely touch his robe. And if I can do that, maybe my situation will turn around. Maybe I'll be healed. So that's what she does, right? And I imagine her probably just filled with anxiety as she's working her way through, through this crowd, right? Again, she's typically having to announce herself, and people have to avoid her. And she's probably, like, getting in shoulder to shoulder, bumping people. And she's probably worried, holy crap, did I just make that person unclean? Are they going to be pissed at me later? I don't know. And she's like, I just need to touch Jesus. And finally she does, right? And he's probably walking away, and she probably just barely grabs him and immediately says, she can feel within her that she's been healed and the bleeding stops, And I like to imagine Jesus, right? In that moment, he's kind of like looking around and she's like, what, who did that? But I like to imagine Jesus, here's this woman, just everything changed for her in a moment. And he looks down at her, right? It says she fell down on her knees. And I imagine him reaching down to this ashamed woman, right? Some other translations say she's ashamed. And I imagine him gently lifting her chin, lifting her face, looking her in the eye, maybe even wiping a, a tear away and smiling, and then just saying, daughter, you've believed and you've been made well. You're not sick anymore. Just imagine that. And I don't want us to miss the most crucial part of that, of that last part. This, this woman, this random woman who is used to being on the fringes and on the outside and literally announcing herself, giving herself the identity of unclean, avoid me, don't be around me, she goes from the fringes, and just one random woman in the crowd, and the God of the universe looks at her and he calls her daughter. He says, Daughter, you've believed. You're not sick anymore. This woman, for the past 12 years at minimum, right, has been on the fringes unnoticed and unwanted and is now being welcomed into the family of God by the God of the universe himself. He says, Daughter. This beautifully profound story. One that I wish we could spend so much more time on and could probably do multiple sermons on. There's so much here to unpack. But the one thing that I want you to take away today from this beautiful story is that it reveals the heart of a God who sees us and is powerful enough to rewrite our stories, to, to rescue us from our suffering, from our pain, to heal our hurt, and who loves us enough to welcome us into his family, graciously giving us a place to belong. So that's story number one. Um, story number two is about this curious man. Uh, his name's Nicodemus. Uh, let me set the scene again. Jesus has just started his ministry. This is right at the beginning of John. We're going to be in John chapter three. This is right after the story when he turns water into wine and we learn that Jesus isn't afraid to party and he likes a good cab. Um, so great. It's a it's a fun story, but this is right after that. Um, and news of Jesus' miracles are already spreading. It's only just begun for him, and yet everybody seems to be catching wind of what's going on. Uh, some people start believing in him when he starts preaching on the kingdom of God, saying, I am the promised king of Israel that you've been waiting for to the Jewish people. He's saying, I am the son of God. I'm, I'm God in flesh. I am the Christ. And then others, again, have their doubts. So some believe, and some are like, nope, you're full of crap. And uh specifically the religious elite, these Jewish religious elite named as Pharisees had a ton of doubts about him and they were not fans of him. Um, and this story, is about a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who is stumped about who Jesus is. He, he has his doubts and he's just simply curious. And uh, let's, let's jump in right there. Let me flip to it myself. I've got to pretend like I've read my Bible before and know where it's at. Uh, John 3, verse 1. It says, boom, lal, wrong page. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do the things that you're doing unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then Nicodemus asks him another question. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born again? And I imagine him being a little rhetorical and sarcastic, like I'm a grown man. Do I, yeah, that's a weird image. Um, then Jesus answered and he said, truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Uh, then he starts talking about the flesh and the spirit Compares the spirit to, to wind. And then verse 9, Nicodemus asks him another question. He said, how can all of these things be? He's just stumped. And then the conversation continues. Pretty much some people think through verse 15, others through verse 21. And it's just this dialogue of Nicodemus asking Jesus question after question after question. And Jesus just sitting there having a conversation with him. And here's, here's what I want us to, to take note of. Again, tons to unpack there that we're not even going to touch today. But Nicodemus, a Pharisee, religious leader, and he was expected to have all the answers, right? Like, you're the religious elite. People looked up to him to, to teach them and all that kind of stuff. He was a part of that this highly influential elite group of people. Um, they knew the Old Testament like the back of their hand. They knew the Jewish law like the back of their hand. They were extremely strict about keeping it. They followed it to a T, and they thought Jesus was insane. They did not like him at all, they were not fans. Uh, at best, they thought he was just lenient with the Jewish law, um, and at worst, they were like, "We need to kill this guy. He's like a huge, huge problem." Um, and a lot of stories in here about them seeking to kill him. But Nicodemus is curious. Uh, he meets with Jesus secretly, right? It says by night, after dark, everyone's asleep, uh, and he can't be seen. And he meets with Jesus by by night just to ask him questions and talk with him because he fears right the disapproval of all the other pharisees he's like i should not be doing this they're going to disapprove of me they're going to ridicule me they i'm not even sure what this means if they catch me with him asking him questions getting to know him and so he's scared he's like you know what i'm going to meet with him when no one knows about it um, and how how many of you in here kind of kind of feel this that tension whenever you kind of feel the tension of like, shoot, should I tell this person I'm a Christian or not? Like, I'm kind of into the Jesus thing, but like, if my friends knew, that would kind of make things weird. That's a real tension. I I feel it a lot. Like, the moment I tell someone I'm a pastor or I work for a church, things get really awkward. Um, Some people even write me off, and so I'll meet new people, or I'll go to like parties, or I'll be at the airport talking with someone, and the moment they ask me what I do, I always hesitate. I'm like, do I tell them like that that is the tension that I feel and Nicodemus is feeling that on a whole different level he's like I'm going to be embarrassed they're going to disapprove of me all of that kind of stuff so I've got to go meet with this guy in secret Um, and then look at look at this conversation again it's question after question after question of Nicodemus just being like okay well what about this Right okay so you say you're this person what does that mean? And are you with are you a prophet? Are you, you say you're the son of God? But like I don't know. And I again I like to imagine Jesus sitting there just patiently listening to Nicodemus bombard him with questions, right? Kind of like maybe sitting over a table for a cup of coffee or something just sitting there just listening Nicodemus ramble on answering he's like here's who I am and then Nicodemus is like, okay well, wait, wait, what about this? Okay. Yeah, here's what that means and like just sitting there having this dialogue Here's who I am. Here's what's gonna happen Nicodemus. I'm gonna get raised up. That's part of what he says Here's I'm gonna get crucified. He's kind of alluding to all all this kind of stuff And here's what that means. Here's how you believe in me Like it's not what you thought like it's about believing in me all that kind of stuff and they have this conversation and the story stops Without like any resolution, you're like, okay, so how did that conversation end? You you don't really know, and you don't see Nicodemus again until chapter 19 in in John. Um, literally, this is the beginning of John. You don't see him again until the end. Chapter 19 is where Jesus gets put on a cross and he gets buried. Um, and right at the end, this is where everybody uh, is kind of depressed. At this point, they're all grieving at the loss of Jesus. Some people have honestly just given up on wanting to believe in him. Some Others have just totally rejected him and ever even knowing him. But then there's a loyal crew of people who are taking him to his burial site. And they're, you know, bringing gifts around the, the burial site and everything and, and taking him to, to Joseph's tomb. And in chapter 19, in one verse, we see Nicodemus is one of those those people. A man who once came to Jesus by night in secret— who was afraid of what other people were going to think about him whenever they saw him with Jesus, is now unafraid to go out in public with multiple other people to the burial site of Jesus. It's as if he's saying, I believed him. I believed he, sa- he was who he said he was. I, be- I believed him, and I'm here. I'm unashamed, and it's this bold picture of a man who was once curious and, and a little embarrassed and is now publicly proclaiming, I, I believed this guy. So that's story number two. Nicodemus story number three Luke 19 Uh, let's uh flip there real quick this one is about a guy who kind of has hasn't made in a way he's kind of got it all but he's still unsatisfied still coming up short coming up empty and he's incredibly lonely his name is Zacchaeus Zach for short probably I don't know um okay Chapter 19, verse 1. He entered Jericho. This is uh, talking about Jesus. And he was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. He was short. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus. I hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And so he, Zacchaeus, hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, the crowd, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. They were were mad. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Okay, so here we have a short king with a lot of money. Um, Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. He's the head honcho. He's the one running the show, and everyone hated this guy, right? They did not like him. Uh, A, because he's a tax collector, and who likes doing their taxes to begin with? And then B, he is like a cheat of a tax collector. He tells people that they owe more than they actually do, and he pockets the difference. And there's no way for them to know if he's actually being honest about it or not. Spoiler, he's not being honest. He's making a lot of money off of these, these people. He had all the wealth in the world. He stole a lot of it, but he had it, and he was still unsatisfied. It wasn't enough. There was a void in his heart is what I uh, imagine Zacchaeus feeling. He's like, nobody likes me. And there's a void in his heart that wasn't being filled by the things he had or any of his accomplishments or his success or any of the money that he had. Nothing could replace it. And he was lonely because everyone hated him for stealing their money and being a cheat. And so again, here in this story, we have another massive crowd, right? Tons of people begging for Jesus's attention filled with lots of people. And then here's Zacchaeus, short little guy, can't even see over the crowd of people. And he's like, I need to catch a glimpse. Like there's something there. I'm craving something more. Apparently this guy has something to offer. I need to catch a glimpse of him. And so he's trying to see Jesus and he can't. And again, I think this guy's like a middle-aged man, 40, 50 year old. If you know who Danny DeVito is, I like to imagine that's what he looks like. Um, Someone told that to me once and it just stuck with me. And so this guy is trying, and imagine Danny DeVito saying, you know what, I'm going to go climb a tree. Like, that's just a funny sight. He was determined enough to go climb a sycamore tree. Uh, And here's why I think them telling us about that tree is important. It's a sycamore tree, which means if you look up a picture of it, it's a beautiful tree, but it's like heavy, heavily leaved, or I don't know what the right word to say that is, Um, but it's like thick, and so you can't really like see through it or in it or anything like that, and so he's in the top of this tree looking down at the crowds waiting for Jesus to pass under the road underneath him. He's like, cool, I'll just catch a glimpse, and I like to imagine that part of him is like, this is actually better. I'm kind of hidden up here. All of these people that are wanting to see Jesus are the people that hate me. They won't see me if I'm in this tree, Jesus, I'm probably not even really worthy to be in his company, but I do want to catch a glimpse of him. He won't see me if I'm up here either. And uh, then what happens is Jesus is walking along the road, comes across the road where the, the tree is, and he stops, dead in his track. Again, there's tons of people begging for this guy's attention. And Jesus stops, and Zacchaeus is like, okay, front row seat, what's about to happen? Is he going to heal somebody? What's, go- what's going down? And then the next thing you know, Jesus looks straight up, Locks eyes with Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus is like, oh, hell. And then they they lock eyes, and Jesus says, Zacchaeus, they've never met before, and Jesus knew his name. Just imagine that for a moment. He says, Zacchaeus, A, I see you. What's up? And then B, I must stay at your place tonight. I've got to come over. I've got to go to your house. And I love the word must in there. Again, we don't get to unpack a lot of these stories, but I do want to highlight this. I think that word shows the necessity of Jesus of like, hey, you're the reason I'm here. People like you that think they're unworthy, people that just want to catch a glimpse for me, is the reason that I'm here. You are my mission to seek and save the lost, like in that last verse of this story. He says, I must stay with you. I've got to come over. And can you imagine what's going through Zacchaeus' head at this point? It's probably racing with thoughts and questions like, Jesus wants to stay with with me? Like he knows me. He wants to get to know me more. And then it probably goes into, oh my gosh, is he going to change his mind about me once I actually climb out of this tree? Does he actually know who I am? Does he actually know what I've done? Everybody else seems to want to avoid me. I've hurt so many people. Is he going to change his mind and want absolutely nothing to do with me? But then I love, Jesus knew, right? Knew him. He said, I called him by name. He knew all of it. He knew all of Zacchaeus and he loved him still. And I love that it says he received him joyfully as if he connected all those dots himself. Wait, Jesus sees all of me and yet he still loves me? And then he receives him joyfully. And then they go to his house, he invites a lot of people over, Um, they party, they have a good time, they eat, and Zacchaeus repents and his life is changed forever, right? So much so that he repays everyone back that he stole from, uh, four times the amount of what he stole from them. And notice that it doesn't say, I think this is a cool observation, it doesn't say that Jesus asked him to do that, right? It was just Zacchaeus' natural response to the grace and the love of Jesus, And then I also love the contrast where it says the people grumbled about this. A total contrast to how Zacchaeus received Jesus, right? He received him joyfully, and everybody else is grumbling. Like, what? Jesus is hanging out with that guy? Like, Jesus is going over to that man's house? Like, he stole all my money. What the heck? And they are so mad about it, and it doesn't make sense to them that God could love someone who seemed so unlovable. Again, they hated this guy. Everyone else hated this man, and Jesus loved him. You see, Jesus loved Zacchaeus when no one else did and he satisfied some eternal longing in Zacchaeus that nothing else could. And he got personal with Zacchaeus, looked at him, locked eyes with him, ate meals with him, got invited over to his, his house. And it got personal with Zacchaeus and it changed Zacchaeus's life forever. You see, in all of these stories, here's, uh, here's what we see. We see people who are suffering and hurting. At the same time, we see a God who sees them, who cares about them, knows them, and a God who heals. We see people who have doubts and questions, and we see a God who meets people in the face of their doubts and questions, and he doesn't back away. He's patient. He sits and walks with people through their questions and their doubts. And we see people who feel empty, who feel alone and unseen. And we see a God who steps in as a friend, as one who brings ultimate, lasting satisfaction to the longings of the heart. And each of these stories, just like Ben said about this room, is marked by broken and imperfect people. A suffering woman, a guy who feels more alone than anybody, a doubter, a curious man. They are all hurting. They're marked by shame, guilt. They're coming up empty. Deep down, they know they are created for something more, something better. And here's the thing. God wasn't afraid and still isn't afraid to step into their brokenness and their mess. He stepped right into their stories and they experienced a deeply personal and intimate encounter with him. But don't, don't miss this, this part. None of these stories ended with just that. He didn't just leave them there in their mess and in their brokenness. He didn't just say, hey, daughter, like salvation has come to you, but you got to keep bleeding, right? Right. He didn't just say that. He didn't just say, hey, Zacchaeus, thanks for inviting me over. You're Stick with it, guy. Like, you'll, you'll be better one day. He said, no, today salvation has come to this man's house, and then Zacchaeus' life is changed forever, and he responds to that. He steps into their stories, right into the mud and muck of their lives, and he shows up in real ways, and he loves them right there in it as they are, doesn't ask them to change right there, and then he rewrites their stories. He invites them into something greater and their lives are changed by his love and acceptance. They, they don't stay uh, stale. They're made alive. And these people are changed by the gospel, by a personal encounter with Jesus, by getting a true glimpse of who he is, what his heart looks like, um, and experiencing all that he has to offer. And here's what that means for you and for me. No matter where you're at, you have a God who sees you, who knows you, and who cares for you, and who loves you. He sees all of it. He sees all the stuff that you're like, yeah, he might delight in this. And he sees all the stuff that you're probably ashamed of. And yet he still loves you. And he wants you to get to know him. It What that means is that you don't have to get your act together. You don't have to fake it. You don't have to put on a mask and pretend like, you're someone that you're not, uh, you get to come before the God of the universe and say, here's who I am. This is my my mess. This is my brokenness. I want you to do something with it. And if you're in Christ, I hope that you were reminded of that and comforted by by that truth. And if you're not quite there yet, then this is your invitation to come along and experience that to experience that truth, to come and see. You're welcome and invited. Just like Ben was saying in here, you're welcomed in this room with all your brokenness, all your mess. You don't have to fake it. And my question to, to you is the same that I opened with, uh, is what's keeping you from from going all in? What, what is, What's keeping you um, from going all in and following Jesus? And regardless of where you're at, here's where, where we'll kind of land. I think what we all do next is the same exact thing. Think first, What happened in all these stories is that these people all recognized their need, right? They all shook hands with the fact that I need something greater. Uh, They embraced that reality. I am suffering. I need someone to heal me. I have questions. I need answers. I feel alone. I need a friend, right? All of these people recognized their need, and they just sought out Jesus, which is the second thing that I I think we ought to do is we got to seek out Jesus. All of these people— went out of their way to just catch a glimpse, to just get a touch of Jesus, right? But they sought him out, and he was there, and he was ready and available to them and opened himself up to them. Uh, we are told that if we seek him, we will find him when we seek him with our whole heart. That's uh, Jeremiah twenty-nine thirteen. We see other verses in the Gospels that say just knock, and, and you will receive. Ask, and you shall receive. Knock, and he will answer. Um, and so what does that look like practically? Uh I think a couple things there's a couple practices and I use that word very intentionally I think prayer is the best one the first one of like lord I'm going to I'm going to knock are you there like I need you um and then see what happens I think another one is if you want to get to know the god of the universe open up this guy and read it um I think it's rich and beautiful and and here and so I think Seeking Jesus out looks like that. I think it also looks like, okay, I don't know where to start. Maybe I'll join a family night with other people who are trying to do this thing. Maybe I'll get to, I'll keep coming here and keep learning about who he is and and being taught about him. Um, But I think the third thing that we do is we make it personal with Jesus, right? Each of these stories, again, are about three people who the God of the universe made things personal with, and they got personal with him. They came to him with their sufferings. This woman's literally bleeding, uh, and they didn't hold back. They were like, here's where I am. Here's what I need. Here's my story. I'm not going to withhold it. I'm not going to hide it. What are you going to do with it, Jesus? And I think just make it personal with him. Let him know where you're at. Um, here are my questions. Here are my doubts, and and see what happens. So let me land here. I'm going to finish the same way we, we started. We're going to keep on saying it over and over again. You're going to hear it a million times if you keep hanging out with us here at Christ Chapel College. Um, But we are a room full of broken people. We are hurting people in here. Some of us are hurting, but we have been healed and are continually being healed by Jesus. Some of us have our doubts and Jesus constantly reminds us reminds us of who he is and that he's worthy of our trust um, he makes himself undeniable in our lives and some of us are being constantly reminded that there is more life in giving it away so we are a room full of broken people absolutely we are imperfect but my hope in my prayer is that we and this ministry that you are a part of is that we are a room full of broken people who have been changed and are continually being changed by jesus by his gospel by his love and his truth, and his forgiveness, and recognizing all that he has to offer, that he has something better, and there's life abundant with him. Um, he calls us to more. And so that's my prayer. That's my hope. Uh, let's pray, and we'll get back into worship. Father, we love you, uh, and we thank you for who you are and for what you've done in uh, in our lives, Lord, and just how you've shown up. And Father, I pray for those of us in that in this room who haven't experienced that, Lord, that uh, tonight we would experience you, that we would experience your love, your truth, and your forgiveness, Lord. I pray that you would make your love for us just abundantly clear tonight, even as we sing uh, one last song, um, Lord, and as we're just reminded of the stories all throughout scripture of how you show up in people's lives. Would your, your love be made abundantly clear? Uh, Father, we need you. You are, are the way to life. Um, and joy, and things that last. Um, And so, Father, would we not be afraid to come before you with uh, our mess and our brokenness, Lord, knowing that you you love us and accept us right where we're at. Um, And, Lord, would we just get to experience life and life with you. Uh, It's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen.